Hi everyone, I just wanted to warn you that the book we're talking about in this month's episode has a suicide attempt in the book, and so our discussion touches on topics like depression, suicide, uh, and other related things, so if that is something that you don't feel you're ready for right now, you might want to either delay or just skip listening to this episode. And if you or anybody you know is struggling with suicide, uh, please call 1-800-273-8255. That's the National Suicide Prevention Line uh, and reach out to somebody because there's always people uh, waiting there for you. Hallowed Ground Storycast. I'm Anya. And I'm Alan. And this episode is about a novel that uncomfortably captures a lot of aspects of my life. Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. I'm completely fine, you guys. It's fine. It's fine. So you share a love of Tesco, unsurprising. I wonder where else your existences overlap. (laughs) That's funny because in our group, I had to ask what Tesco was. I didn't even know what it was. I forgot about that. Uh, So, Alan, what is this book about? It's set in Scotland. uh, So maybe we should just say that up front because I don't think I ever say it in this little blurb that I wrote. And uh, it's about a lady named Eleanor. Eleanor goes to a rock concert. She falls in love with the lead singer of the opening act as soon as she sees him. Uh, She realizes that if she has any hope of a relationship with him, that she will need to change many things about herself, including her clothes, hair, and makeup. Um, But her transformation and pursuit of the singer is interrupted by her co-worker, Raymond, wanting to spend time with her. When the two of them help an old man who has a heart attack on a public street, a friendship unfolds between the three of them. In fact, these are the only friendships in Eleanor's life. After her makeover, Eleanor tries to meet the singer at another concert, but realizes that the whole thing was just a crush. In despair and shame, she tries to kill herself. Raymond finds her, nurses her to health, and urges her into therapy. And then Eleanor confronts the repressed traumas of her childhood and emerges more confident and optimistic about the rest of her life. Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine is the debut novel of Gail Honeyman. She submitted the first few chapters to the Lucy Cavendish College Fiction Competition for Unpublished Women in 2014 and won a place on the shortlist. They gave her a free consultation with the publishing agent and that led to the novel's publication in 2017. There's been talk about a possible movie adaptation. Reese Witherspoon's production company Hello Sunshine acquired the rights to adapt the novel and made a deal with MGM, and Reese Witherspoon promoted the book in her various book clubs. Um, However, no actors, producers, or directors have been attached to the project, and news about the adaptation has been pretty quiet for the past six months, so unclear what exactly is happening with that. The book is such an interior book, and like so much of the experience of reading the book really depends on having that like close insight into Eleanor's thoughts and logic. It's like hard 
to imagine how exactly they could translate that to a screen. Oh, yeah. The only thing that I can think of that kind of successfully did that from a very like interior um, kind of space was um, the Scott Pilgrim movie uh, that was adapted from the comic book. And even there you had like the comic book was almost like laid out how to visually do it, you know? Mm The things, the impossible things that are happening are clearly in his head from his perspective. And so, like, the whole movie has, like, this meta layer to it. I don't know. Like, it would be weird. You're de- you're definitely right. There's, like, a huge challenge to adapt this book. Mm-hmm. And so uh, just a little bit of background on why we read this book and why we're covering this. Alan and I are part of a book club with uh, some of our podcasting friends on Discord this was uh, the book that was voted on, and I don't think either of us actually voted for it. Um, neither of us really knew about the book before we read it. We kind of like went into it super blind, but it resonated, I think, pretty powerfully with both of us in kind of different ways. And it's not often <laughs> that we are both like reading or watching the same thing at the same time without podcasting about it um, and like explicitly right. with the intention <laughs> of podcasting about it. So it just seemed like a really good opportunity and like why wouldn't we yeah it was like a freebie exactly yeah it was like we've already done all of the homework we might as well take the exam (laughs) uh i guess i spent too much time in academia that's like where all my metaphors come (laughs) from yeah so what was your experience reading the book i listen to all of my books now i hardly ever read anything and so i went ahead and got the audiobook of it which is really good. I think the audiobook actually won some awards because of um, the accent work of the lady who did the entire book. And I went ahead and listened to it before the book, like our reading even started. So I just completely read the thing, even though we were doing like two or three chapters a week or something like that. I was like, I need to know what to pay attention to uh, as I read it. Like, I can't just read a chapter and like, you know, six months later, remember what happened in chapter one or something like that. My brain just can't do that. Um, So I read it right away. And then I was like, oh, this book is like devastating and beautiful and wonderful. Um, And I think I said something on the board like, um, like if somebody read this book, they would understand how I feel inside all the time. And if they read the book, the slow regard of silent things, they would understand how I think. And like, like I'm a broken person basically. <laughs> um, Cause the, <laughs> the book is like basically about loneliness. Um, and then the slow regard of silent things is like a book by Patrick Rothfuss that takes place in um, the same universe as the name of the wind if people have read that very famous fantasy novel. That book has my favorite magical system of all time. It's like so fucking cool. Oh, sympathetic magic. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, it's not just that it's sympathetic. It's like it's so mathematical and it like obeys the actual laws of thermodynamics and conservation of matter and energy and stuff. Yeah. Oh, I just mean that that's the name of the magical system. Oh, is sympathetic oh I didn't even know. I guess it's been too long since I've read it, but... Yeah, but that book is, like, from a a supporting character's perspective who lives by herself. And, like, to her, 
like everything has needs and and she her entire existence is dictated by the needs of everything around her like her needs don't matter um but they're not people they're like literal things um that she thinks like oh it needs to be up here today or it needs to be over there cuz she's she's crazy so that's how my brain works <laughs> like yeah i don't know i don't know how you felt about it but i felt like the especially the beginning of the book is like very transgressive in terms of um, what you usually get either like in any literature, but especially I feel like a certain kind of women's literature that this book is kind of marketed as. I went into this thinking it was going to be a little bit more fun than it's not that it isn't fun or funny, but like, it's just not, I just didn't expect it to be super honest about like loneliness is terrible. Like, yeah, so hard to live through. I don't know what you thought about that. I don't know. It just felt like it was breaking rules to me. I never see anything like this. Maybe I don't read enough. I was going to say, I didn't necessarily pick up on the fact that it was breaking rules because I also don't actually read that much. Um, And that's like one of the things that I've really liked about joining this book club is that it's forced me to read books for fun for the first time in like so long. Well, podcasting with you, of course, also forced me to do some of that. Like I think Wild Seed was the first fiction book that I'd read in maybe like three or four years Mm -hmm. there is something about her character that feels like a bit unique I suppose is more how I would have put it she's like a very singular character like very brutally honest um in a way that I think male characters are kind of often allowed to be and female characters are are less so Yeah, I think that I think gender is a part of like what's interesting about the book. And it feels like really authentically from a female perspective. But then at the same time, like I said, I tapped into her emotional life in a really big way. And I think like a big part of the book and what where all the humor in the book comes from is that even though it is transgressive and weird, and she's a singular character, she can't see herself in the way that we can as readers Mm -hmm. there's just like a whole part of the world that is invisible to her about like the way she comes off and the weird things that she's doing you know to everybody else but since we can see inside of her head her behavior makes sense to us but you can also see how like it's the the wrong behavior yeah (laughs) so that's like what i loved about the book Yeah, so I really strongly identified with the way that Eleanor kind of like looks at the world and sees all of these customs and cultural standards, and they just like don't really make sense to her. (laughs) You know, things like, well, why would you say that the party starts at 7 but not expect anyone to show up until 7.30 and like showing up at 7 is considered rude? Like, that makes no fucking sense. <laughs> um, and like also, <laughs> particularly with regard to like the way that she sees feminine presentation as a type of like very unintuitive costume that she has to put on in order to be accepted and has basically, at the beginning of the book, kind of decided that that's not really worth it, or even that she doesn't understand that it's a costume, and then kind of, like, through the course of the book, figures out how to to do all these things that are, like, completely unintuitive, and so she's having to, like, very slowly logic 
her way through it often to hilarious effect and it just I don't know it made me (laughs) it reminded me so much of my like teen and early adulthood years of like oh fine like I guess I'll put in all this effort to like learn how to put on makeup like fine because otherwise (laughs) I'll look really weird when I go out and do these things and like don't know how to do that there's kind of a reason why I took on the persona of Anya from Buffy and like the the moniker strangely literal um I think Eleanor in this book hits a lot of those same chords um with me Although, unlike Eleanor, um, I definitely do have a lot of strong social connections with people, and I think I, like, have a sense of of empathy that maybe she was missing at first. So on that level, I, I didn't quite relate to her uh, super personally. For Eleanor, there's, like, this whole part of the world that, like, like you said, just doesn't make sense and is, like, arbitrary. But it seems like everyone else in the world is clued in on it. And thinks that she's ridiculous for not understanding it. Mm -hmm. I think that everybody can relate to that on some level. Yeah. Right. And I think that's where like a lot of the humor in the book comes from. um, Because it is like truly a very, very dark book. But also just like really hilarious at the same time. One of my favorite quotes that I just related to so hard was when... um, She's going and buying, like, her outfit. I can't remember if it was for the concert or for the wedding, but... And she says, The store clerk tried to steer me toward heels again. Why are these people so incredibly keen on crippling their female customers? On reflection, though, she was correct in stating that the fitted black dress did not really go with either my new boots, too informal apparently, or my Velcro work shoes. It appeared that nothing did, much to my surprise. I had thought that they were the very definition of versatility. We compromised with some improbably named kitten heels, which, contrary to what one might think, had nothing to do with cats. They were heels which were easy to walk in, but which were, nonetheless, very feminine. On what basis was this decided? By whom? Did it matter? I made a mental note to research gender politics and gender identity at some point. There would be a book about it. There were books about everything. (laughs) That's her main way of um, figuring out society, right? It's like she'll read a book about it. Yeah. <laughs> and then be like, oh, the, these are this is the rule book. Okay, now I understand. Well, if you don't have friends to ask, that's kind of like <laughs> your only option. Yeah. Well, that was part of what I like plugged into so hard with her was like, I said earlier, like, maybe I don't read enough. But like, the truth is I read like three, maybe four books, depends on the length of them. Uh, every week. And a lot of those I reread, but um, that's just like how much time I have on my hands uh, because of my job. I don't do any mental work at my job. And so I just listen to audiobooks and I have literally hundreds of them and just read them over and over. And a big part of the reason why I do that is the, the what she's doing is like figuring out how people work and what you're supposed to do to like not disappoint people or be weird or be conspicuous. And it was like, like I said, when I read this book, I read the entire thing right up front, even though a lot of other people didn't do that in the group. You know, part of that's maybe because they didn't have time. But the other part is because I don't think it was in the spirit 
of the group to do that. It was kind of like, we're all going to read this chapter by chapter together. And instead, what I did was we would have these meetings on Wednesday to discuss the book. I would read the chapter that we were on on Monday, and then I would read it again on Tuesday, and then I would read it again on Wednesday. And I would just kind of compile in my head, like, what is something that I can say that won't be disappointing and stupid to everyone and will like earn my place in the group so that I'm not a pathetic loser, basically, was like my interior monologue. I'm not saying that you're, or like the way you feel is invalid, but it was really good having you there, especially as someone who like didn't always have time to like read the stuff super carefully. Um, Like (laughs) what you did contribute was very helpful. Well, I feel like it's ex- it's excessive, though, like by any measurement, <laughs> like to read the book four or five times by the end of the entire thing in order to feel like I adequately contributed to the enjoyment of other people's time in the group so they don't feel like they're wasting their time being around me is dysfunctional. Like, I'm aware of that it's dysfunctional. Yeah. But it's like... I mean, I'm just saying, like, on the one hand, it's dysfunctional. On the other hand, it is like providing a valuable service and i don't know if there if you can like possibly reframe the way that you think about it not a therapist right just throwing out ideas (laughs) since this is a book that is based a large part at least in the latter bit about therapy Mm -hmm. and reframing things. yeah Yeah. exactly Uh, it's it's valuable to reframe things i think for both of us like understanding the her weirdness and like her rules-based approach to the world Mm -hmm. we both relate to that but at the same time we're both like not as lost as she is we can both like it's it's like a dramatic exclamation point on that kind of personality right Mm -hmm. like she's kind of too too weird to be real there's something that's just like very refreshing though about like she's been so socially isolated for so much of her life she just approaches these things that we take for granted and seem totally normal. But then like when you actually think about it, you're like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Like why, why is it that way? Right. It's not like a utopian novel where like a character comes from a perfect society. And like, it's not like wonder woman, right? Where she like, she's like, why do you treat each other like this? Oh it's yeah. More yeah like, no. She's the one who's more messed up, <laughs> but she has a point sometimes. So I'm, I'm trying to think about, where to go next with this now that we've discussed Eleanor's character and like maybe it makes sense to start with the inciting incident right that's like how Lonnie trains us to think about stories and I think the inciting incident of this novel is really when she gets entangled with her co-worker Raymond and then like the older gentleman who they help after he has a heart attack on the street, Sammy. Because mm-hmm. that's really what sets in motion Eleanor's emotional journey throughout the book. Well, I don't know. I, so it's almost like there's two inciting incidents, right? There's her going to the concert and and falling in love right. at first sight with the musician. And then, yeah, and I, then the thing with the old guy. They both end up taking her on a bit of the same journey in the same direction of opening herself up to more people and trying um, to change herself and the way that she relates to the world. But, you know, her obsession with the singer is sort of like her intention. 
and like what she's trying to do, even though it's like not really a good idea necessarily. And then um, the, <laughs> it's a terrible the idea. like parallel journey that she's going on at the same time uh, with like Raymond and Sammy is like completely against her will. She feels lonely and she wants to build a connection and she thinks the singer is going to be that person for her. And it's not right. Instead, it's her relationship with this like older guy and her coworker Raymond who end up connecting with her socially and emotionally and kind of like changing how she relates to the world. Yeah, definitely. And we had like a big talk about it in the group when Sammy, the old guy, has a heart attack. I was like, if there's a movie, this would be where it starts, even though the book starts with her falling in love with Johnny, the singer. There's like a old saying in screenwriting that what you want to do with your character is like have the character want something and the character needs something. And those should create tension against each other. And so, like, she wants the singer, but she needs Sammy and Raymond. Yeah. And, like, like you said, she's getting dragged in these two directions. And it's, like, it messes up all of her expectations about what it means to become an adult and fully, like, a woman. It's kind of two directions, but it's also, I almost see it as, like, the same direction just on, like, parallel tracks. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. She's like becoming less lonely, less depressed. Um, Eventually, there's like a suicide attempt. And it's clear, like once that happens, when you look back at the beginning of the book, that she was about to commit suicide. And then she saw the singer. Mm -hmm. Like she's moving away from that whole situation. You actually just blew my mind. Because I only read the book once. And I don't think I had quite gone back to the beginning to reinterpret it in light of everything I knew from the end. But you're totally right. She was about to commit suicide at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Because she gets these pills from a doctor mm-hmm. and is like, yeah. And she's like, my back hurts because maybe my breasts are too big. Yeah. And the doctor's like, whatever. Here's some pills. Oh, it's such an interesting um, scene, too, because it shows that like she can be a skilled manipulator of people when she wants to be, even though she mm-hmm. completely misunderstands people in most ways. well there's like two sides to eleanor right there's like a part of her is like hidden from herself that deeper part of her is like a manipulator she's kind of like manipulated herself into not remembering things about her past and like her entire trauma which i i find that part also very realistic but i wonder how people like it's weird because like A big part of trauma, especially like emotional trauma um, or even physical trauma can be like denial or forgetting. Mm -hmm. It'll be like, you know, you get in a car accident and then you wake up in the hospital and you're like, how did I get here? And a part of that is not only like you lost consciousness, but like your brain was just like, nope, not going to remember this. I'm out, you know? Yeah. And like that is like her whole childhood, though. It's not like a moment of time for her. It's like. She doesn't remember anything about growing up. And so that's like all the stuff that she's moving away from, the loneliness and the and the death that comes from that trauma. But like ironically, on that parallel track with Sammy and Raymond, she's moving towards that trauma and like towards reconciling it with who she wants to be. But with the Johnny Loman character, the singer, she would be moving away from the trauma. She has all these crazy fantasies about what life would be like with him. 
that are like really simplistic where she never has to deal with any of her pain Mm -hmm. or like anything real about her. She just like has all this, you know, like great food, great sex, great house. And like none of it is based on like anything realistic. Yeah, but it kind of is a good match for like the superficial bullshit life that he's projecting. Mm -hmm, (laughs) I really mm -hmm. love him as like a character to hate. He's so delightfully hateable. He's great. <laughs> the The audiobook lady does such a good job with, he does all these tweets and she has like the most smug, self-satisfied voice for him. It's like, it's, it's like chef's kiss. Oh. It's like perfect. <laughs> That's like a big part of um, where the comedy comes from with him too, because you like love to hate him. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about Eleanor and her relationship with, with Raymond because it's like a very interesting and again like kind of singular relationship there's kind of like a big component to Eleanor's personality that we haven't really talked about is um that she judges everyone based on how they look and um and like the kind of food that they eat or the shoes that they wear the kind of clothes that they wear how they present themselves how groomed are they And to her, the better, like she judges the book by its cover and the better the cover looks, then clearly that person is like a good person, capital G person, you know, Mm -hmm. and Raymond is kind of like just a regular guy. He's like a little bit schlubby. He's, we come to find out that he's coming off of a really difficult breakup where he thought he was going to get married to a woman and It didn't work out. And so he quit his job and now he's got a new job and he's like kind of transitioning and he's real scruffy looking. He's, you know, beat up jeans, bad tennis shoes, T-shirts, not a clean eater. Uses abbreviations and emails like the letter U and the letter R. (laughs) LOL. (laughs) Um, And then Johnny Lomond is like very put together, right? He's like three piece suit. He's very sharp. He's got a nice haircut. He's elegant. Mm -hmm. And so she thinks Johnny Lohman, great. Raymond, scumbag. The opposite is true, right? Because like you said, Johnny's like very fake. And Raymond is very sincere and authentic. Like, I feel like the book is like about that. About like, don't judge people. Like, just don't judge people, A. And then B, like, don't judge them based on you know, their perfect Instagram life or whatever. And I think that's super true. But I also think the book presents the somewhat realistic idea that like Eleanor does end up being treated very differently as she changes her appearance to fit in better. And it does make her happier Mm. on some level. Like it doesn't solve everything. It doesn't address her core traumas. And like it doesn't really change who she is. But, like, getting a haircut on some level literally changes her life and, like, completely changes, um, yeah, like, her relationship with her coworkers. I don't know. It's kind of, like, a nuanced, complicated message about, like, to what extent uh, appearances are important and do help us move more smoothly through the world, but also, like, aren't everything um, and, and like, mm-hmm. ultimately, it's just kind of a tool rather than, like, 
the manifestation of the underlying value of the human, I guess. Yes, that's perfect. That's so well put. Yes. Yeah, because she wants it to be like binary and simple, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you good, you bad. Like, I got it. She wants to read like a book of rules. And it's it doesn't it's not that simple. You have to like make an effort to like meet people halfway. But at the same time, you have to like, be aware that like some people out there are fakers and then other people are just doing the best they can. Mm -hmm. And like, hey, sometimes you can't shave because you just can't do it. Yeah. (laughs) And I think also there, like what you notice is that Eleanor does judge everybody by how they look, but at the same time makes no effort to change how she looks. Yeah. We haven't talked about it, but she has like some really bad scars on her face. Oh, yeah. Um, from being burned. She's judging herself by the same standard as everyone else for the entire book. And so therefore, she's like subhuman and terrible in her own, you know, like schema of how people work. Well, and you can kind of see how like, just growing up the way she did and with those scars on her face, like, not only was there no one to really like train her for Mm -hmm. what to look like, or, you know, like how to cultivate an appearance. But also it's kind of like, well, why bother? Because I can't, I'm not going to look like a normal person anyway, no matter how much effort I put in. And I guess that's kind of what I was talking about with like how many times I read the book. I have to like come at the group of like earning a place and all of that. And the way that like Eleanor judges people, I feel like is directly connected to the trauma that her mother put her through. And we haven't talked about mummy at all yet. Mm -hmm. But for me, like needing to like say the smart thing or like is like directly connected for me to like the way that my dad treated me when I was a kid and treated everyone around him. Kind of the same way that mummy like judges everyone for what they eat and what they wear and how Eleanor internalizes that. I have to have the right answer because like that was the kind of thing that I would see my dad do all the time to people. Like if he could get the rhetorical leg up on you, he would dress you down in public and he was a sharp guy. He wasn't like a dummy or anything. And he would like, you know, debate people into a corner and make them feel stupid. I see. Like on purpose in order to dominate them. And so I find myself all the time in our discord or when I was on Twitter People would say something and I would just show up in their conversation and be like, actually, you're completely wrong. Uh, And it's not because I feel really uncomfortable about the things you're saying. Uh, It's because I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. And I will bully people. I do it like all the time. And so this is like something else that I plugged into on Eleanor. I don't judge people the way that she does, but I recognize this defense mechanism caused by trauma. Mm hmm where you internalize the abuser and then you like exhibit the same behavior. Except for me, like I'm aware of it and it still happens. But with Eleanor, and we'll talk about this later, she is not aware of it. And then when she becomes aware of it, it's like easy for her to drop that baggage. Which is maybe not your experience in real life. No, no, I don't think it's most people's, but it's like, it's fine. Um, the book's like not about that. But I find that part of it realistic. Like the way that mummy judged everyone and the way that she judges everyone by the same standard, even though she like 
simultaneously is afraid of mummy and hates her and has all this pain wrapped up around her. Mm-hmm. Um, she still uses the same standards that she learned from her. It doesn't occur to her that like, hey, maybe that's not the right way to be. Because like you said, it's really hard for her. Nobody ever takes the time to teach her another way to be, really, until she meets Raymond, right? Yeah. That's a big part of their friendship. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about her and Raymond. Like, I really love the way that Honeyman kind of, like, very gradually and naturally builds up their friendship, right? Like, you kind of, you need some sort of excuse to get these two people in proximity to each other and interacting when, like, otherwise they wouldn't necessarily have that tendency. And I guess it's kind of like you said, you know, Raymond's coming out of this really rough relationship, started a new job, is, like, feeling very lonely, and he sees Eleanor, I think, as a bit of a kindred spirit. Like, he can tell that she's a loner and is also feeling lonely. And I don't think he's interested in her romantically. I think he's just kind of, like, looking for some kind of human connection. Um, and so mm-hmm. he, he like, tries to reach out to her. Um, and he sees the way that the other people in the office treat her. And is, like, obviously a very compassionate person and is trying to, like, throw her a lifeline a little bit to be, like, not everyone here totally sucks. <laughs> and then, you know, like, very quickly they have that experience with Sammy where they end up calling the ambulance and going to the hospital and then kind of dealing with his family. And I think he just... <laughs> he's he's kind of trying to just, like, do the right thing and bring her along for the ride I guess. And like at some point, I don't know, at what point do you think he starts to see her as like a project? Do you you understand what I'm trying to get at? Like he's trying really hard to like form a connection with her. And it's unclear to me like to what extent that's kind of an altruistic project versus like him being lonely and and thinking that she could actually just be like a good friend for him like he invites her to his mom's house (laughs) you know like (laughs) i i found their relationship like very compelling but also like a little bit puzzling i guess i never trusted raymond even on rereads i was like okay i'm gonna figure out why he's sketchy and bad because i definitely didn't trust him the entire first reading and like, I never really liked him, even though I think he's like kind of the favorite of most people once we got to the end of the book. Mm-hmm. And like, for me, it's exactly like what you're saying. Like, she's so difficult and everybody else just checks out and like makes fun of her or is offended and like, you know, fuck off with your rudeness when they don't understand the inside look that we have on her, that actually her behavior makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's just, she's not operating on the same rules. And like, why does Raymond make such an effort? And to me, it screamed like predator, like someone, this is a person who recognizes trauma and will eventually like take advantage of her because of that, like gain her trust. But that never happens. Um, Thank God. Yeah. It never happens. But I think he says at one point to her, he says, like, you make me laugh and you don't give a fuck about any of the stupid stuff. Like the way that she is not in touch with all the rules of society is exactly what he likes about her. And I think that's what appeals to him as 
a friend because like, like I said, he's like in this weird space of like recovering from losing a job and losing a relationship. And he's kind of changing to a new set of friends who aren't associated with the, the old relationship. Mm -hmm. And he's like in this transitional liminal space. And here's somebody who doesn't care that he's acting weird, you know, because she's acting weird. He'll, he'll put up with her weirdness because he like recognizes like I'm weird too. And I could use a friend like I'm hurting. I don't know. Like I, it was good to have the group because I think that in the absence of the group, I would have come down a lot worse on Raymond and, and to hear everybody talk about him, I was like, yeah, he's a good guy. He is. In terms of like, when does he see her as more of a project? I think like the first time she tells him like, oh, when I got the job here at the, at the place they work at, it's like a design studio or something. I had, my arm was broken in two places. I was missing teeth. I had been beat up by my boyfriend who like lived with me and raped me all the time. And he's like, Jesus, what? And she's like, yeah, you know, the way that relationships are. And he's like, oh my God. Like, that's when he starts to see that there's like, it's much worse than he understood. And she needs more compassion Mm -hmm. than he first assumed. He's willing to do it. Yeah. She's not just weird because she's weird. She's like, she's been through some stuff. Yeah. And like, maybe part of his motivation for helping her is like, he's kind of like on his way up out of a dark place. And so (laughs) by finding someone who's more broken than he is. Uh, he can kind of like <laughs> push himself into more of like a caretaker role rather than a caretakey role. Be that person for someone else that he wishes he had had or maybe he was thankful that he did have. Yeah. And he kind of even overdoes it near the end, right? Like he does all this research mm-hmm. about like, I don't think you understand what's up with your mother. And she's like, look, I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. Like, stop. <laughs> Because he's definitely like pushing her at that point, like, just get better. And it's like, I'm trying, but you have to have more patience. So one of the things that this book really made me think about was to what extent do we owe people our help and attention when they're like in a really bad, traumatized place? And like, I say this um, coming from parents who are moderately codependent like not with each other but like in the past have gotten like a little bit in like codependent caretaker roles with other people in their lives you know there's that saying don't light yourself on fire to keep other people warm Hmm. you know like Mm -hmm. obviously you want to be nice and help people but like sometimes it's above your pay grade and like I don't think anyone would have faulted Raymond for not intervening with Eleanor to the extent that he did. But that was like the choice that he made. Like he went in, he saved her life and he then he like checked up on her every day. And like, you know, that was like a lot of both emotional and logistical effort to help rehabilitate a person. They had built a somewhat close friendship up until that point, but they also like hadn't known each other that long. And so as we were reading through the book with the book club, um, a kind of like casual friend of mine was having suicidal thoughts and threatening suicide. And I was kind of like hearing about this secondhand through the grapevine 
and my partner was like getting some of those messages firsthand and was trying to decide how exactly to deal with them. Um, But even he was not like a super close friend. We were kind of just like casual, ran in the same circles. Um, And so like ultimately he ended up mostly trying to, to call this person's parents and let them know what was going on and help them get involved And it was kind of like, (laughs) I don't know, just like trying to think like, does this make me a shitty person that I'm not getting involved? You know, we also had a lot going on in our lives and like we'd never really hung out with this person one on one. So like, I don't know, it just like I was having a lot of feelings basically uh, about, about like, you know, mad respect to fictional character Raymond for what he was doing like. (laughs) <laughs> but also I was like making the decision specifically to not do that with someone who was maybe in a similar situation at the same time. And it like made me a little bit uncomfortable, but also I like had to do what was right for me. On one hand, you're like trying to find some kind of like framework for like, am I a good person? Am I a bad person? What's the right thing to do? What's the wrong thing to do? Those are a lot of rules, which are kind of like, you know, what Eleanor is doing. And I feel like Raymond is just kind of like, working from his heart like he's not thinking Mm -hmm. a whole lot when he busts down that door like he's very worried you know and then afterwards after she's better from trying to kill herself he's very angry with her yeah how could you do this why didn't you talk to me i thought we were friends the big difference probably with eleanor and i don't know this person you're talking about but like a lot of times people who are on their way down or facing problems of addiction is like you can't you can't catch somebody or help somebody who doesn't want to be caught or helped. And Eleanor does. Like this is what the book is about, right? She is trying to change. Mm-hmm. And so when Raymond is like, we'll go into therapy. And she's like, ridiculous. No way. And he's like, how could it possibly make it worse? And she's like, that is logical and true. I will try. <laughs> it's like... You, If you tell your friend, you know, talk to your parents who hopefully love you and are, are good for you. Yeah, yeah. And talk to a therapist. In the context of this book, obviously, you know, that's not always the case. It's not always the case. It really isn't. But, you know, talk to a therapist. And if that person says no, like, I'm not sure what you can do. Because that's a person who is, like, not available to be helped. You can't just save people who don't want to be saved because that takes away their choice and their consent and like despair and and all of that is a part of human life. To what extent can someone really consent when they're depressed and traumatized in that way, right? Like Eleanor doesn't want to be helped at first. When Raymond first rescues her, it is completely against her will. And she's, she's like so embarrassed that he's, you know, like, finding her in this like physically compromised position you know she's like disgusting objectively just based on you know like not having eaten and like all of the vomit ever you know it's like uh it's like a very vulnerable position yeah i don't know it's suicide is tricky it's funny too because like i remember way back when we were doing Uh, the first season of American Gods and we got to the episode about Laura. We like read the episode two different ways where like, I was like, Oh, Laura is clearly suicidal. And you were like, Laura is clearly like 
edgy. And, <laughs> yeah. um, you said something like neither of us, and this this was true. We were like, neither of us are mental health professionals. We're like, we we can't diagnose depression or or whatever. And then you said something like, and neither of us, you know, knows what it's like to deal with suicide. And I didn't say anything, but like, I've definitely had suicidal thoughts. I I can't understand people who don't have suicidal thoughts at some point in their life. I feel like that's something that you kind of have to confront as a human. Like one day you'll realize like, oh, I don't, I don't have to be here if I don't want to be like just as a concept. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was like way more serious where I was actively trying to kill myself at a point in my life. And so I definitely recognized that stuff in Eleanor and, but it wasn't, there's like a weird distance that she has from it in the same way that she has like a distance from everything in the book where Raymond's like, you tried to kill yourself. And she's like, I just drank too much and like passed out. And he's like with a, bread knife to like open your veins and like a bunch of Vicodin and she's like good point true <laughs> fine uh. and I I was like um driving my car at like 60 miles an hour through red lights on busy streets on purpose like going into bad neighborhoods and uh like inviting violence on myself and You know, not the kind of stuff where you like drink or pills or just like inviting really bad violence uh, on myself. And nothing ever came of it, but I very much wanted to be done. I don't know. Like even these days, like sometimes it's just really hard and I don't want to be here some days. And it's not that I want to hurt myself or anything, but it's hard. It's hard to be here sometimes. Yeah. And so like, I relate to all of that, but I don't know to what degree if, if you haven't had those thoughts or those feelings, I don't know to what degree Eleanor and Raymond's relationship makes sense as it relates to that. Yeah, I guess, you know, I've definitely been depressed at points in my life. And I've always managed to just kind of like deal with it through like formal and informal forms of therapy, but I've never felt suicidal in any way. It's kind of hard for me to relate to that. I feel like I'm I'm definitely coming in at a more from Raymond's perspective. And like I don't know, maybe I wish I could be more empathetic. I mean intellectually I can understand it. Sure. But it's hard for me to like really intuitively understand it. I wonder if Raymond has ever felt suicidal. He never says anything like that. He's just there. Mm-hmm. So there's no evidence of that. I literally assume that everybody has felt the way that I have and has like tried to hurt themselves uh, at some point, which is like an incorrect assumption. Like it's like the the same kind of dysfunction that Eleanor has where she's like, everybody understands that if you dress well, you're a good person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're ugly, you're a terrible person. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess I... I kind of understand the, like, impulse for Mm self-harm, in particular, like, self-harm through excessive exercise uh, is definitely, like, (laughs) something that I have some experience with, or not, I mean, I don't know if, I probably, like, didn't actually do it to the point where it really came to self-harm, but, like, 
inflicting pain in that way. I've never truly been in a place where I felt like I didn't have something to live for or like people who would be upset if I wasn't there and people who I would be upset not to see again. And and maybe that just means I've been like really lucky and, and fortunate in my life. She definitely thinks that at one point, um, if I died, then no one at work would even notice. And they're the only people in my life. Mm-hmm. And she's wrong about that. Like her boss, Bob cares. Mm-hmm. He sends Raymond. Raymond cares. Raymond cares a lot. And Raymond's mom cares, you know, and Sammy's family cares. And so there's just all these people. And it's a really important thing if you do have those thoughts to just think about, like, you're wrong if you think that it's not going to hurt other people or they won't notice or they would be better off. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not true. Yeah. And like, to say the obvious, like, Alan, don't do that because that would be really sad. (laughs) I mean, there are many other better reasons for you to not do it beyond me being sad, (laughs) but like, move that up, you know, in the top 10 list of reasons. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think that's worth saying. (laughs) <laughs> to, to people yeah it's like hey i'd miss you and it and it's you know suicide is a choice and so it's a direct rejection when that happens in your life i've also known people who have killed themselves and so you definitely feel like oh you like you didn't this didn't matter to you this connection that we had even though that's not how it's working in their mind the people who did notice that you would, you know, that would notice if you were gone mm-hmm. are the people who will feel like, oh, you, this was against me. Earlier, I said that like Eleanor kind of sees herself uh, as subhuman, like she's judging everybody by this, you know, framework that she has that like ugliness equals badness. And a big thing that she does throughout the book is like relate to animals and compare other people to animals. And it was something that I really noticed like on the reread. I didn't see it so much the first time that I went through, but it's like a device. I think that Honeyman is using in the book to like, on the one hand, it's funny that every time she compares somebody to an animal, it's like a a funny little bit, um, which is good because the book needs as much levity as it can get. And then on the other hand, she like compares herself to animals in a favorable way. Eleanor does. Mm -hmm. Um, And she says like, where's that quote that I had? It was so. I put them um, at the bottom. Ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I I love that part. Do you want me to read it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. If I'm ever unsure as to the correct course of action, I'll think, what would a ferret do? Or how would a salamander respond in this situation? Invariably, I find the right answer. <laughs> it's so It's good. like the what would Jesus do? Yeah. For- <laughs> but what would a ferret do? You know. What would a ferret do? You know, animals on the hierarchy of being, speaking of Jesus, would be like below humans. And so I think she sees herself as less than human, and that's why she relates to the animals. And then to bring other people down in her mind, she compares them to a dog or a pig See, I didn't see it so much as as being like subhumanness, but just the idea that that these animals are 
operating more on like instinct than logic and that she like really wishes that her intuition alone was enough. Yeah, that they just instinctively know the right thing to do. Yeah. That's true. Maybe I just have a different perspective on animals because I actually spend a lot of time thinking about and working with animals. Oh, that's true. Yeah, because you're a biologist. So the first time I read it, I just I didn't notice it because of like what you're saying. Oh, she just relates to animals. And so, you know, people do that. And so it's just a convenient device. And then I was like, oh, but wait, she's comparing other people to animals. And every time she does it, it's to like slam the other person. And so I don't think that she like actively is like mentally self-harming herself by being like, I'm a ferret. But like, it's more like what you said, that it just makes sense to her that like, of course, I'm like a ferret. And to me, that like on a higher level in the book as readers, that's like a signal to us that like Eleanor is dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. it's not that she is trying to make herself feel bad. It's just that she automatically believes that she's not good. So what do you think of mummy since you just read it the one time and like the super slow over months way? Well, first of all, I didn't quite read the book, the whole book super slowly. I read like the first two. Oh, that's right. I read the first two thirds super slowly And then once it got to the suicide part, I just like binged the rest in one night. I think I stayed up to like 2 a.m. and was not that sharp at work the next day, but I just like had to know what (laughs) happened. How do I feel about Mummy? Uh, Well, first, how I feel is that if you are a person who, after listening to us talk for about an hour, uh, haven't read the book yet, don't like being spoiled very much about things and think you might want to read the book, stop now because... There's a twist with mummy. Um, So just warning, we're about to talk about that. Um, So I think the question that you were asking me is, did I realize that mummy was just a figment of her imagination before the reveal? Kind of. So I didn't pick up on the fact that her mom was not real or like the way that she was interacting, her mom was not real um, super early. But I think I did pick up on the fact that she had had a younger sister that her mom had killed much earlier than most people, Um, at least Mm -hmm. compared to other people in the Discord. I, like, right away was like, oh, she fucking had a sister and, like, something horrible happened and her sister's dead and I think her mom had something to do with it. My parents are really good people, right? Like, they're not perfect people, but they're really good people and so I don't really know what it's like to have someone in your life like that who's who's just like genuinely toxic and terrible for you and and it like relishes in taking you down a step and making you feel pain mm-hmm. so on some level it was like I didn't really relate to the mummy character in a super like strongly emotional way other than to think that she was a vile piece of shit. Oh, yeah. I don't think you're supposed to like her. Yeah. <laughs> I read it and then we started to do it. And I was like, oh, no, people are going to think that she's like a cartoon and nothing could be real about the way that she behaves. And I was anxious about that, like in the discord to have people be like, this is ridiculous. Who would talk to their kid like this? Oh, I so I've spent enough time talking to people who do have narcissistic parents to know that like... Yeah, that is some people's reality, and it's super fucked up. 
Yeah, and nobody had that reaction in the group that I was afraid of. So I think she did a really good job of presenting a character who is like kind of over the top, but then the reason she's over the top, you know, debatable, maybe makes sense within the context of the story. I definitely, I I thought that Eleanor did have a sister Mm -hmm. and that she did die. I thought there was maybe an accident or something and that mummy did not like murder her. I was expecting it to be Eleanor's fault in some Mm, way. I see. Even though she blames herself for it, but it's not her fault at all. Yeah. The reason that maybe Mummy could be as heightened and crazy as she is um, in the book is because, like, she's not actually real Um, in the sense that, like, Mummy was once alive, but she's been dead. She died at the same time her sister did Mm -hmm. when she was a child. Yeah. Everything that Mummy says, maybe her personality was that vile, but maybe this is just like the worst part of Eleanor's depression kind of internally um, hurting her. Oh. You know, the way that we all kind of have a voice inside of us that says like, you're not good enough or you can't do it. This is like the worst part of Eleanor kind of psychically concentrated into some kind of antagonist. You know, uh, yeah, that's a really good point that I hadn't really considered. Um, I know enough people who have truly horrible narcissistic parents. And I think I had like just read um, Lonnie's uh, Lucy March book, the second one, um, where like Stacy Easter's mom is like not quite as horrible as mummy, but definitely in that direction. That character is like the worst yeah. in that book. Lilith Easter yeah. is uh, the widow, the best person to like hate. I would not necessarily have said this like five years ago, but at this point, like the horrible narcissist mother is kind of an archetype that I'm familiar with. Yeah, I find it believable. It is kind of um, a little bit of an archetype. I don't want to say like it's a trope. I don't think. It's tired yet because it's like um, women's fiction just isn't taken seriously enough Mm -hmm. most of the time. And I think this kind of exploration is actually really important for women to like unpack their identity and how they're passing trauma down through the generations um, in the same way that like it's overexplored for men. uh, The same idea, you know, sons and fathers. Yeah. That's how I related to it was the sons and fathers thing. When I was a child, if I would make some kind of obvious mistake, like talk back or fail to do a chore or hide something, the look in my father's eye would not be like disappointment or like anxiety of like, oh, no, I have to punish my child. It was like glee. It was like, oh, I get to hurt you now. Like you asked for it. Um And so I recognize that in Mummy, like the glee that she had when she was like, oh, you have a project. Oh, you're you think you're in love with someone who would ever love you, you, you know, disgusting thing that you are. Mm -hmm. And then whatever the most unhealthy impulses in Eleanor, those were the ones she would cultivate and feed. And then any time that she would try to get help for herself, she would, you know, move her away from that. And, you know. Would her actual mother be that kind of nakedly manipulative? Like, probably not. But there is a a cruelty that people can have 
uh, for the people they're supposed to love the most that definitely was recognizable to me in the book. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is where this is where this kind of deep dysfunction comes from is your inability to trust people, because the first thing you learned is you can't trust anyone. The people who are supposed to love you no matter what are the people who are the most dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so like when people in the book tell Eleanor, like, I think Raymond says it, I think Raymond's mom says it, you know, like, oh, well, we'll we'll call your family. Yeah. And she thinks like, why would you do that? <laughs> why why would you think that's a good idea? Like that's the exact kind of responses that I have when people talk about like, oh, I'm going to go spend the weekend with my family. My first reaction is like, oh, I'm sorry. But then I've learned to like not say <laughs> that because then people look at you like you're crazy. That's one of those things that I feel like I've become more aware of recently as I've like become more of an online person and like participating in Twitter and stuff where on Mother's Day or Father's Day or like all of these things that from like the the most like simplistic general culture perspective are supposed to be like happy fun lighthearted days like for a lot of people like those days really fucking suck (laughs) you know because Mm -hmm. you don't have a good relationship with your mom or your dad or or whatever those were definitely kind of like cringy moments in the books were just like, oh, like, I know they didn't mean it that way, but like, that's so rough for Eleanor, you know, like all those like little tiny wounds that just kind of like build up where like people assume that your family life is one way and it, and it wasn't. So another thing that we talked about a lot in the group towards the end of the book was if we thought the ending was successful in terms of like, so the ending of the book is basically just like Eleanor going to therapy for a long time and kind of like working through her issues. If you try and like map the structure of this book onto the traditional three act structure, I think that the the climax feels like uh, her suicide attempt. And then uh, you get this like really long extended uh, kind of denouement where she's in therapy working on herself. But I think there were some people in the group who who kind of voiced the opinion that the ending felt like a little bit too clean in the sense that she went to therapy for a few months and then all of her problems were gone, even though she had like really deep-seated trauma that would probably take years to deal with even in the best of circumstances with like the best therapy. I found it frustrating how fast she gets better not that she's like fixed at the end of the book. And actually Honeyman like makes a point of saying like, I'm not better, but I'm getting, you know, yeah. it. she's careful not to make it a neat bow, I think, but she's like, she's working on it and she will do it because um, she's a strong person and she believes in herself. As far as the structure goes like that, I, um, I remember you saying that in the discord. I think that's true. If you, track it from the Sammy thing as the inciting incident. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like the, like you said, the therapy is like this long denouement. If you, if you track it from the Johnny Lomond uh, thing of like falling in love with him, uh, I think the suicide is more like the midpoint. Oh, in that interesting. Arc. Okay. And then realizing that mummy is just like this kind of psychic voice for her 
and that she did have a sister and that it's not her fault that she died. That's the end of that arc, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if there was a movie, I would expect the therapy to be like a very short part of the movie because I think it would start with the Sammy stuff somehow. Like it would get to the Sammy thing early. You know, the suicide would be like a a big part of the, the end and then maybe there'd be 15 or 20 minutes of like healing. I I guess just from personal experience, like I would, I've been, I was put into therapy because when I was like a little kid, I was having so much problems and like I was very disconnected from everyone else in in school and like sometimes I was hard to deal with. I think this actually happens to Eleanor where the, where like her behavior like triggers some kind of interaction with the state and then her mom pulls her out of school. That didn't happen to me. And so instead they were like you have to take him to therapy. Yeah. And then so I went to therapy and then as an adult, like, I just didn't deal with therapy. And then when I did try, like, it wasn't that long ago. Like, last year I was talking to a therapist and it actually, like, and I think this is pretty normal. It it just actually, like, brought up a lot of things and made everything much harder for me. You had been kind of, like, in a stable holding pattern of repression. Y- yeah, I guess. I mean, it was, like... <laughs> you know, like a functional alcoholic or something, you know, like, like, and then you're like, oh, I need to quit drinking. Like, that's gonna mess up uh, your life, right? That's a big change. Yeah. And so it like unbound a lot of things in me, like you said. Um, And it was very painful. And I I don't think I'm over it uh, at all, actually. Yeah. So like the ending of this book actually like made me angry with the book at how much I related to Eleanor in the beginning and then how she does this thing and the, and the doctor's like, Hey, the way you see the world is wrong. And she's like, Oh, I'm fixed. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's not that fucking easy. No, like I wish it was that easy, but, um, but, but also like, I don't think that um, like her issues and my issues don't actually match up all that well. Mm -hmm. It's easy to get mad at like that whole thing. But I think Honeyman is just talking about that false narrative that you tell yourself when you're lonely, like that it's better this way, that I'm not inflicting myself on people, that something is wrong with me. And then to have someone just kind of work through therapy with you and show you your entire way that you're framing reality is incorrect. And that probably would help a lot if you're you know, your primary issues are around loneliness, which is what I think the book is really about. It's there's trauma in there that causes the loneliness, but the book's not about the trauma, really. The trauma is just there, I think, as backstory. I'm less mad at the book now, like after realizing, you know, what it's actually about than I was like the first time I read it. I was like, I was kind of disgusted. I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like you did so great at the beginning and then you fucked this up. But I think the book's actually really great in terms of loneliness, which is like such a big thing with the way that the internet is and with the way that social groups work now. And like sometimes you'll find your people online and you can't always be around those people. And so like real life can feel kind of lonely sometimes. 
and so I think that like this book would speak to I mean it's obviously spoken to a lot of people um because it's like huge international bestseller yeah yeah I guess the ending worked better for me um just because I don't I don't have a whole lot of experience with therapy myself um a little bit here and there I guess it seemed like an idealized version of the process but in the same way that like most things depicted in novels are kind of like an idealized version of the thing the other thing that i wanted to touch on that we talked about a bit in the discord group uh is the idea that eleanor could possibly be on the spectrum uh like the autism spectrum um because she does just like really relate to the world and to social relationships super differently and i think it was it's felt more that way at the beginning before we had like a lot of insight into why she was that way. And until we see her like make a bunch of progress and kind of like change in the way that she relates to people throughout the book. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think ultimately we settled on the fact that like, no, she's probably like not on the spectrum. She just sort of like demonstrates some similar characteristics, um, but that the novel does have a really important message of kind of like normalizing mental health issues and different types of neurodiversity beyond that not that like being neurodiverse is a mental health issue but just that like if someone seems like a little bit different in the way that they interact with the world like that's not a reason to like shun or isolate them like you can reach out to them and like for meaningful relationships with them. Yeah, I think the novel rejects the idea of like normal. Yeah, you know, exactly. Quote normal. Exactly. Uh, yeah, just like <laughs> the idea of that everyone has to be like normal and perfect and like match up to this like kind of like standard of a way of being. Yeah, because like our comparison of this book, you say like you had these great parents who were like very loving and like, you know, are still together and they, you know, all that stuff. And then you still like relate to all kinds of, you know, personality weirdness inside of Eleanor. Yeah. And so like, to me, that's like the most evidence that like normal is just this like myth that's used against everyone to like control their behavior and like try to standardize us or shame us into some kind of like conformity. Why can't you be more normal? Like, there's no such thing. Just just stop. Yeah. (laughs) Grow up. Yeah, I think that's a great thing about the book. I love the idea that she's on the spectrum. I I still think it's possible. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, you know, it's totally possible. It's very cool that that reading emerged in the Discord. It just never would have occurred to me. And like, there was a lot of like good evidence, and there was some academic articles thrown in there to like back it up. And it was like cool to explore that idea. I thought. When that case. Uh, Join us next month for an episode on the German spy drama film, The Lives of Others, uh, which is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to watch that yet. So um, what am I in for? Uh, (laughs) It's actually been a few years (laughs) since I've seen this movie, but it had like such a big impact on me the first time I watched it. And I've uh, seen it a couple times since then. And it definitely holds up. Um, It's so it's set uh in east germany um post-world war ii um like during the soviet era it's a really interesting look at life in kind of an authoritarian 
regime and how you can kind of like start out with allegiances one way and then end up going in another direction, like what it's like to live in an authoritarian spy state where everyone is supposed to be like informing on their neighbors and how that just kind of like really fucks with the way you can even like have relationships with other people. And it's just, it's a really beautiful and well-made film too. And I think it might actually be based on a true story. So yeah, hmm. I, I- Paranoia. Yeah, yeah. paranoia. <laughs> I really think you'll, you'll like it. Um, and it's also, there's, you know, some stuff in there about like art and what it's, what it's like to, to be an artist and to try and like make art under uh, conditions of duress and, and stuff like that. So, so lots, lots to talk about for sure. Yeah, and that'll be next month. So if you enjoy what we do, don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. I'm Anya, and you can follow me on Twitter at Strangely Literal. That's Strangely, then L-I-T-E-R-L. You can follow the show on Twitter at HGStoryCast and visit our website at HGStoryCast.com. If you'd like to leave us feedback, you can visit hgstorycast.com contact or send an email to contact at halloweddgroundmedia.com. Ground Storycast is a Hallowed Ground Media production and is produced under a Creative Commons non-commercial share alike license.